Today's scripture comes from John chapter 11. It's from a collection of verses from John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of God for the people of God. Indeed, thanks be to God. Let us pray before we enter in into a conversation that I am really excited about. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we come before you thanking you for this time of reflection, this time that um, we uh, open up our ears and open up our hearts that we may be challenged, that we may be inspired, that we may be empowered to go out living a more inclusive, accessible, and open-minded of, of the things that we will learn today. Allow for your spirit, O oh God, to begin to teach us through the stories of our leaders here within UBC. We ask this all in your many names. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. I would like to invite our panelists up. Today we are gonna have a panel, and this panel is um, to begin to enter in uh, deeper, um, to enter in more um, expansive around 
our sermon series, Disabled Jesus, Disabled Love. Um, we won't touch on the scripture just yet, but we will have a time to touch on the scripture during communion. But we want to enter in into the stories of some leaders here at UBC. So I want you all to like put on um, a mind of learning, to put on a mind to enter in into these stories um, so that we may really hear God, the Spirit, moving in the lives of leaders within our own community. And so, let's jump right in into like this cozy conversation, you all. Um, welcome, welcome to our little front room. And we will like enter in. So first, um, I would like to introduce myself. My name is D'Angelo Smith, and I am privileged to serve you all as your site pastor here at High Park Woodlawn and at Wicker Park. And if you refer to me, you can refer to me with they, them pronouns. And so we're going to enter in into this conversation. Uh, if you all will get the mics are right next to you all, um, introduce yourselves. Tell us about you. Um, let's start over there. You don't need to. Kia ora, everyone. My name is Elsa Lipskin. I share my pronouns, and I am a leader here at High Park Woodlawn. Um, I am going to offer a visual description of myself for those in the room who may be low vision or blind, but also for those who may be tuning in through our podcast. So I am a young white woman with short-lived brown hair. I have large black sunglasses on. And resting against my shoulder is my long white um, guide cane. I'm wearing a navy blue dress that's v-neck. At the top of my dress, you can see the dressing of my central eye. And then sneaking down the dress um, is a white tube that lands at my backpack, which sits at my feet, which is connected to my feeding tube. Um, I want to give a little sense of who I am because all of the stories that I will be sharing today and the answers that I will be sharing are deeply connected to how I identify and how I navigate the world. So I am queer, I am disabled, I also identify as chronically ill, I'm a wife, and I'm also an academic who works on music and disability studies, and I'm an immigrant. I'm called also to share my explicit diagnoses because who I am explicitly shapes the types of interactions that I have with people and with environments. So. When I was 12, I developed a rare nerve disease called complex regional pain syndrome that started in my right ankle, but by the time it was diagnosed, it had spread throughout my whole body. Um, it causes widespread chronic pain and um, muscle deterioration um, and can affect any limb or organ where there are nerves. It has left me legally blind. Um, it also affects my entire um, GI tract, and so I have something called gastroparesis, which literally translates to paralyzed stomach. It means that I am unable to eat or drink anything orally, and I'm 100% sustained by both a feeding tube and a central line. Um, it affects my heart. I have something called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I have since, um, from rapid weight loss due to malnourishment and starvation because of my um, GI disorder, developed a rare vascular compression called superior mesenteric artery syndrome that has a mortality rate of one in three. And um, I also have chronic proximal hemicrania, which is a rare sort of migraine disorder, and I'm currently under um, investigation for suspected Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a genetic disease um, that affects connective tissue. And I said yes to being on this panel um, 
because so often disability is sidelined in conversations in the church. Um, it is often ignored as something that is distasteful, something that is taboo or that is um, unnecessary to discuss, or when it is discussed, it is weaponized against disabled communities as the manifestation of sin, of weak faith, and as something that is in need of fixing. And um, my hope and my prayer today is that as you listen to Emma and I talk with Pastor D'Angelo, that you would leave here thinking of disability not as something that is in need of fixing within our community, but rather as an integral part of who we are as a faithful community of Christ. Thank you, Elsa. This, this mic works now. So uh, thank you, Elsa, and um, thank you for inviting us to the framework of this conversation. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Emma Trevor. I use she, her pronouns. This is my first time at Hyde Park Woodlawn, uh, UBC. I've been a uh, UBC member since 2015, so about seven years. Um, for the first uh, seven, sorry, math, first five years that I uh, was a worshiper here, I was at the Wicker Park site, um, uh, commuting in from the suburbs of Chicago. Um, and since the pandemic, I have um, joined, I'm sorry, is it going in and out? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing kind of a... No, yeah. it's it okay? Okay. Um, uh, Since the pandemic, I have been um, uh, glad to join the online worship site um, and the accessibility that allows me as I prioritize my health. Um, I, uh, yeah, I define myself um, both as chronically ill and disabled. Um, I have, uh, El Elsa and I have one diagnosis in common, which is so funny because when we met, we were both like, oh my gosh. Um, so I, but uh, I, have, I have other things that are, that are different from, from Elsa and, and, and all of these kind of diagnoses and chronic illnesses manifest, can manifest very differently in different people. Um, and at different times of uh, the person's life or, or even different times of the day or time of the year. So I have what's called the trifecta, not to be outdone. Um, I feel like it should come with a, a gold star that I have um, these three fancy uh, interrelated um, syndromes that affect virtually every um, system of the body. Um, one is called POTS, P-O-T-S, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. That's the one that Ilsa uh, mentioned as well. Um, a, a very, very basic understanding of that could be um, very that I have a very high heart rate and low blood pressure. So I am prone to faint, pass out, um, get dizzy spells, brain fog, um, and all of those things affect everything else. Um, the second one, the, the second two parts of the trifecta, I just that diagnosed with a month ago, so you were the first kind of to publicly learn about this uh, from me. Um, so the second one is H-E-D-S, that's hypermobile, one word, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So the E-D-S, the Ehlers-Danlos, that's one of the things that um, Ilsa mentioned as well that she's um, under investigation for. Um, and that is a connective tissue disorder. Um, the way it affects me is that my joints and ligaments um, are not super strong. They're not really uh, super, they're, they're kind of ghosting me once in a while. So um, that is something that I am uh, living with and working on. And then um, on my other uh, diagnosis is called MCAS. M-C-A-S stands for Mast Cell Activation Syndrome. 
And um, the way it affects me is that um, at the ripe, exciting age of 31, I have developed uh, an entirely new set of food allergies and environmental sensitivities. Um, so what I like to call, rather than a restricted diet, um, I choose to in inject a little humor. Um, it is my exclusive members only, uh, invite only secret menu of like eight things that I can eat now. So um, that's uh, something that I'm, is new to me also. Um, so and to offer a physical, visual description, excuse me, for anyone on the um, uh, podcast or listening to just the audio or who is low vision or um, visually impaired or blind. Um, I am a 31-year-old woman. I have a spiky shaved head um, with a pink cap. I have clear glasses, or cl clear rim glasses. I guess all glasses, well, many glasses, let's say. Um, I am about five foot five, but I'm also sitting down with my feet propped up, so that maybe doesn't really matter. But um, I'm wearing um, shoes and leggings and a shirt and scarf and a navy royal blue sweater. And I'm very pleased to say that Ailsa and I are matching, um, even though we <laughs> unplanned this. I know. I think we are very much in sync. Um, so I think my yeah. intro. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you both for being vulnerable and welcome. Um, and I, I'm so excited to jump right in into, um, you know, our first question, basically. And our first question is, what's one thing um, you wish the church community understood about disability or and disability justice or and uh, accessibility? And so, um, Let's jump right into what's that one thing that you wish people knew? Emma? Yeah, yeah I'd love to take this one. Um, so I, I think the one thing that I wish people would know and, and kind of as a starting place is that um, disability is not always visible. In fact, it's very often uh, invisible or, or not um, recognized, right? We have um, what we call uh, accessible parking spaces or um, walkways or things like that, ramps for uh, people who use wheelchairs. Um, but there are so many more um, populations that are affected by and, and require accessible thinking and accessible um, modalities besides just someone who's in a wheelchair needs to get into this room. Um, uh, and, and kind of going along with that, I think it's also, again, maybe um, uncomfortable for people to think about that disability can happen to anyone at any point um, in the blink of an eye kind of a thing. Um, when I got sick, I was 18. Um, I was away at college uh, in my first semester, and um, I um, got sick um, and just kind of never really got better and, and just was really uh, deteriorating and, and I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I was um, very, very weak, very, very fatigued and really very scared. And, um, you know, I, uh, I was essentially bedridden between the ages of 18 and 22. Um, during that time, I saw 32 doctors in eight states. Um, I did uh, dozens of treatments I did. Um, I was at Mayo Clinic. I was at a lot of different places. 
um, trying to get a diagnosis and trying to um, find something that would get me back on my feet and get me back to functioning, get me back to what I thought at the time was um, a quote-unquote normal life. Um, and in that time, I learned so much about um, the ways that people responded to my body and how it looked. Um, I was the slimmest I had ever been as an adult. I was, my, my hair was long and shiny. Um, you know, I, I could walk into a room and people would say, oh, fatigue, you must be, you must be really hard to be a teenage girl. Go home and take a nap. Um, and that is not an exaggeration. I've, I was told that by many doctors, and I think that's, that's very true for a lot of people who, who are chronically ill with an invisible illness, especially. Um, but my fatigue was debilitating. It um, completely cut me off from the world, um, you know, save for phone calls and um, internet occasionally when I had the energy to type or, or be on a screen. Um, but I think that uh, talking about um, how the church is accessible or can be more accessible in our current climate, our current, you know, 2022, um, really prioritizing um, health and safety of everyone, not just people who are already ill, but people who may become ill, people who um, have greater, uh, not even greater needs, but just different needs. Right, to be in a space and feel comfortable and feel welcome. Um, I know for myself that Zoom small groups have been an enormous um, sense of community building, um, and uh, I, yeah, I think that that's just—it's not always visible. It's not always what you think it might be. So, start. Yeah, thank you, Emma. I, what I what I'm hearing is that we—you're um, calling us to understand that. Every disability doesn't look the same, and that same disability or chronic illness may not look the same within each individual that has it. And to begin to um, be aware of that and maybe have conversations with the, those people to see how we can um, be more accessible. Yeah, so um, Elsa, like, do you have anything else to add? To yeah, I would love to introduce a relatively new concept from disability justice and disability communities but that I think is really helpful here, which is the idea of dynamic disability. This is a term that gets used to describe disabilities that fluctuate and so that may on one day present in one way and then hour by hour or day by day may present in a slightly different way. And what that means is that the needs of someone is not static, that the needs of someone with a disability may look very different. On one day, my pots may be flaring so badly that unless I sit after lying down, I need to sit for five minutes before I can start standing. And then once I stand, I need someone to hold my arm so that I don't fall and I have to wait another five to 10 minutes before I can walk. Other days I can kind of get up and I might be a little lightheaded, but I can kind of go on my way. And that is the same disability on a day-to-day, -day, but it looks very different and presents very differently. But I think that as Pastor D'Angelo was saying, dynamic disability also can help us understand disability at the more of the collective level, which is that two people with the same diagnosis can need very different things. And so it calls us as a community when we're thinking about access, it's not as easy as to kind of like put something in place, wipe our hands clean and be like, we did it, right? Like we built the ramp or we have the link so that the worship guide includes lyrics, or that we have an online worship guide. 
that's going to work for everyone, right? We can wipe our hands clean of it, access, tick, let's move on to the next issue. It's just not as simple as that. Because of dynamism, because of the way things change and fluctuate, we really need to be thinking about how we can be adapting moment by moment and day by day to the people that are in the room, but also the people who have never felt welcome to come to the room to begin with. The people that may not be members of our community yet because they don't believe or they haven't seen evidence that they would be welcome in this space. And our work as creating inclusive communities means we need to be receptive and open and flexible in the ways that we care for and account for the members who are already in our spaces, but then also be creative and mindful about the ways that we can be cultivating access in particular ways that then demonstrate to community members that they are also welcome in this space. I, I think that's amazing and it goes to our value of being inclusive where we say that everyone is welcome at the table, right? And I think that um, to really up that and bring everyone to the table if we know um, that, that we need to be more accessible, we need those who are more effect, affected in that realm to come to the table and really, and I think that we know that, but then do we do it, right? Um, and so thank you for calling us to this dynamism. Dynamism, yeah. Dynamism. Thank you. I, 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 I know that um, we have a link that I'll put in the worship guide and also we will get online for people to read more about this concept. Um, and so let's jump into our third question of what is one way that the experience of disability, chronic illness? I think it is fitting that one of the songs we sang today spoke about we can do all things because the reality is, is that I cannot. I live in a body that cannot do things and theology has told me time and time again that if I just prayed hard enough, that if I did the right things, if I lived my life in the right way, I would be able to, and there is no flaw that cannot be fixed, and that if it remains and that flaw remains, that therefore there is something that I have been doing wrong. And so what my disability and chronic illnesses have taught me is a discomfort with imperfection and a discomfort of flaws. And the idea that we are all wonderfully made and that we are perfectly made because the world has taught me that disability is something to be feared, it's something to be avoided, and it's something to be fixed. And I live in a body that cannot be fixed. There are no cures, there are only treatments to kind of manage and mitigate symptoms, but there's no physical healing to be had for me. And so even in faith communities where we comfortably discuss how we're all perfectly imperfect, Disability is still often framed as something that is in need of fixing and in need of healing, and we should want healing. And I've been told, as I mentioned earlier, that like my disability is the manifestation of sin. It is the manifestation of my weak faith. And as I've grown in my faith and grown in my identity as a proud, disabled, chronically ill woman, I've learned to accept that that's just not true and that we can understand that God is disabled just as I am disabled. And I think the biggest thing that I take away is that I can accept that while also grieving the body that I no longer have and the body that I never will have, I don't have to be resentful or ashamed of my body, especially within faith spaces. Um, I don't always have to love my body in order to be strong in my faith. Hmm. 
I think that, <laughs> that's powerful. Um, because many times we, we want to say that uh, we have to love our bodies, right, to begin to enter in into a deeper love within God or within our community and to um, really uh, enter in into the messiness of, of, of the ways in which we show up. And, and you call us into a deeper level of this, we are fearfully and wonderfully made in all of that right? And all of waking up one day saying, you, you know what, I, I, I really don't love the way like that this is coming up, but then how do I work through it to begin to um, live life? And, and that's the beauty, right? That community comes up and also you and yourself begin to connect to God in moving through life and living life. Emma? Yeah, and I, I think I, I want to just kind of uh, play off of what you said, Pastor Angel, is that, you know, it doesn't have to be an, uh, a journey towards acceptance. It doesn't have to be a conquering your disability. I, I uh, tend to shy away from that kind of thinking or that, you know, any kind of inspirational video where somebody does something that they thought they could never do. Like, that's not my cup of tea because I feel that it minimizes and uh, uh, erases the experience of disabled people and the difficulties and the beauty and the challenges that we all face um, in variety. You know, we're all on life's journey, right? We're all on God's journey. We're all on, you know, different points we feel great about where we're at and different points we feel crummy. And that's okay. I, I think um, to, end, to go back to answering the question about what um, how chronic illness and disability have affected my faith. Um, I think that I have expanded my um, permission and expression of every emotion. Um, I think that I have I have spent many months and years in lament and in grief. Um, I was, uh, you know, a active person. I was a um, you know, uh, dealt with all kinds of isolation, being um, kind of cooped up in my house for many years, only leaving the house mainly to go to doctor's appointments. Um, I definitely, you know, grieved the loss of uh, moving through milestones with my classmates um, and even, you know, missing out on family events or vacations, things like that, due to what I was going through. Um, and I think all of those experiences of lament and, and weeping and all of that, I think has expanded my capacity for joy and humor. Um, uh, I think that um, uh, people, people maybe don't understand or, or are uncomfortable with the idea like, wow, Emma, your life seems really crappy right now. <laughs> like, you seem like you're in a lot of pain right now. This is true. And they're like, what? you know, I'm surprised that, like, you're not, um, you know, complaining more. Like, shouldn't you be miserable? Like, that's what I would be, or that's what a cartoon character I would imagine would be. Like, wah, 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 all the time. And, yeah, are there times I'm totally miserable and in pain? Absolutely. But, like, if I find a Garfield comic that I think is hysterical, I will send it to every person I know. And this, like, brightens up my day. Um... And that's how, I, that's how I cope, right? That is how I 
connect to others. I find a Garfield comic that says, the weather report, oh, well, I'm not leaving the house again today, so it doesn't matter. Back to taking my nap, you know. Um, I think that's I think that's funny, and I think that's maybe it makes people uncomfortable that like we ha we're still fully human, right? We're not we are not a bunch of tissue and organs and and blood cells. We we are fully capable and 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 can feel and express the entire emotional and spiritual spectrum. I think also. Um, there's been a lot of, in my in my experience of um, the integration of my theologies and concept, uh, conceptualizations of faith that have taken place when I'm very very ill, um, and I'm kind of rethinking or or revisiting these sort of cognitive dissonances of, um, wow, well I always thought that prayer was this. This seems like it's not working for me anymore. <laughs> um, you know, and, and really kind of um, digging deep into um, uncomfortable or, or uh, maybe for some people scary, scary lines of thinking of, wow, if faith isn't this cookie cutter, um, uh, clean, clean cut kind of thing, what is it then? And then for me, it's been finding the mystics and finding, um, you know, particularly women, particularly chronically ill women, who write about their experience of um, experiencing God and experiencing love and truth and peace and faith in the midst of horrific conditions, and um, you know, uh, those kinds of things I I relate to, and and those kinds of things feed my um, my fuel to take care of myself and to show compassion to myself and to others. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of debunking and reading the way you're taught about faith and about uh, the scriptures, right? And and really searching for the good news, even though it's probably some bad stuff, like the wording of it, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and and so that's amazing. So our last question here is: How do you express love in a way it what has changed over time when it comes to access and disability justice? So how do you express love now? And what has changed with this uh, disability justice? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think that um, a friend of mine um, uh, who actually has POTS as well, you know, not that all the cool people have it, but whatever. Um, she taught me this phrase a couple years ago um, to teach your loved ones, friends and family to say to, to me, right, to yourself when you're having a tough time, what do you need? That is the question. To, you know, if Elsa's having a, a, a rough go of things, hey, I'm here, what do you need? And to listen and to um, believe them, you know, if Elsa says, I really need 500 puppy pictures right now. I'm on it. You know, I will absolutely send you five. I sent you at least four or five yesterday. I think we were maybe at like 20 in the last couple of days. Okay, that's true, that's true. I, uh, I knew, and yeah, like being vulnerable like this, this is hard. So I think we've both been building each other up the last couple of days. But, um, you know, to, if, if, if your loved one says, hey, I need some space, or hey, I need 
I need recommendations of something to watch, or I need, um, could you, like uh, a friend of mine who's in the back of the room, um, she looked up this um, wrist brace for me, and I uh, promptly ordered it because my bones are falling apart. <laughs> um, and that has brought me great comfort And that, you know, she, I, th I think there's, people have scripts in their minds of what they want to do to be helpful. Like, oh, if I said, Elsa, I would love to um, cook you some, a, a big old homemade pot of corn chowder. That would not be helpful to her or to me. I can't have corn chowder either, um, just for the record. But, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to maybe channel the ways that you show love and also hear and respect and honor the ways that people need to be loved. And, and receive that love. Thank you, Emma. I think you're calling us to a deeper level of understanding how to love someone else and, and to really seek out how to love them. Because we always want to love the way that we want to love instead of then entering in into conversation as, how do I love on you today? Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a big question, right? Elsa, you have... Yeah, I think that like what my disabilities have taught me is for those who know me, I'm an Enneagram 2, a strong Enneagram 2, and I really struggle to accept help. And what my disabilities have taught me is that it is just as loving to gift your time and energy to someone else as it is to receive that from someone who is offering. And when I am at my lowest, when I am really struggling, I sometimes do have to turn to my wife um, and say, I need your help doing this thing, this thing that I have been entrained to believe I should be able to do independently, that the right thing as a 30-year-old woman should be I don't need assistance showering, or I don't need assistance packing my bag or caring for my service dog. And yet there are times when I can't do that. And what I have learned about love is that it is loving to be able to identify those things and express those to the people around you that you're in community with and to ask for that help and then to accept that help graciously and to accept the help that they are so willing and ready and wanting to give and that you just have to, to give yourself permission that it is okay to accept that help and to live interdependently rather than independently. And that maybe independence shouldn't be our goal anyway, which is a much larger conversation taking place within like disability justice networks. But um, I'll kind of put a pin in that for today. Um, but yeah. Thank you both. Thank you both for calling us to so much, right? The fluidity of, of entering in into disability justice of, of that everyone is not the same and therefore we need to ask um, to begin to love on someone and the ways in which they want us to love them um, and show up for them for that day, <laughs> that second, right? Um, and then this, this, um, this understanding of entering in into our faith and debunking some of the things that we have learned to enter in into a more just, some, a more liberating, um, theology and faith. And so thank you all for this time of um, entering into your stories, sharing us. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us. And I hope all of us um, have learned something today, even online. And so with that, let us pray um, for our panelists and also for this community.
a gracious and loving God who moves with us. We ask right now that you bless Elsa and Emma right now for opening up and sharing their stories. Take their stories and night within them. Give them inspiration. Love on them a little bit more, O oh God, with us as their community. And we ask, O oh God, that you pour back in everything that they have poured out today, that you, O oh God, restore right now um, every energy, O oh God, that they um, exuded in this moment. And we ask, O oh God, that you walk with them as you have always walked with them. And we turn to this community. Inspire us, O oh God, to be more just, to be more accessible, to enter in into a place where we will begin to love a little deeper and a little harder. Um, and we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name and in your many names, I pray. Amen.